The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch. Derek walks you through how to win government jobs, effectively manage your government career, and best utilize government services. Every week on Fed Access, you'll learn about interesting federal agencies, workers, and careers. Fed Access provides you the access you need to succeed in the federal government. And now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Thank you for stopping by the show. We are always glad to have you. Today, we're going to be talking about a very, very serious issue. If you've been paying attention to the news, you've been seeing a number of different things going on in terms of the use of chemical weapons. A nerve agent just was released by Russia, or where people are definitely making the claim that it's Russia, uh, against uh, uh, one of their former spies who was living uh, in the United Kingdom. And a lot of people are very, very concerned about this, but we've seen chemical weapons just starting to be used more and more in Syria and other places. We've seen North Korea maybe use a chemical agent against somebody, but we're just starting to see more and more chemical weapons out there and their use. And a lot of people are very, very concerned about it. People in the United States, people at our allies and other people around the world are really kind of taking another look at the threat of chemical weapons and maybe even the threat of biological weapons. So we're trying to find out what's going on with that today. Today on the show, we're honored to have the Honorable Andrew C. Weber. He was a former assistant secretary for defense for nuclear, chemical and biological defense programs. And so he knows all about this stuff and he's going to give us some insight on what's going on. Andy, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you, Derek. You know, when we when we look at this um, and we look at this situation, what is the status uh, of you know, chemical weapons. I mean, you know, what's the status in terms of the concern? Are there still a number of kind of state actors or even maybe possible terrorists who have access to chemical weapons these days? What do you see that's going on um, from your time in the administration working under President Obama now up until now? What is the current status of this, sir? Well, these terrible weapons, um, which are banned by the Chemical Weapons Convention, um, are really... um, um, a horrible class of weapons, and the world is moving to totally eliminate them. But lately, we've seen an uptick, um, especially uh, Syria has been using chemical weapons repeatedly against its own people. And then we had uh, a North Korean attack, an assassination of Kim Jong-un's brother in uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, at the airport there uh, last April. And uh, now we've seen this recent attack in in uh, the small town of Salisbury, England, against a uh, former Russian military intelligence agent. Um, it, it is disturbing. It seems to be that there's a trend of increased use of uh, these horrible weapons, and the taboo is breaking down. You know, when when we look at this, uh, how, and I know that, you know, chemical weapons have, you know, especially after World War One, there was this major concern about chemical weapons, and a lot of Countries built up their chemical warfare capabilities, and then some people kind of scaled it back because of the concern of these kind of agents getting out and, and you know, the horrible uses and the horrible damage they can cause. Are, are there many countries who have chemical uh, weapon programs or, you know, how, how prevalent is that in our society? Uh, maybe a lot of people don't know. Are there, are there many people who have access or is it just the major countries? No, in fact, um all but four countries have joined the Chemical Weapons Convention. 
and have taken steps under supervision of the Nobel Prize-winning Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. Uh, it's a UN organization in The Hague that oversees implementation of this treaty. Um, a lot of progress has been made in destroying these stockpiles. I would say the last uh, big state program is North Korea, which reportedly has over 5,000 tons of different kinds of nerve agents, including sarin and VX. Wow. You know, when we look at that and, and you know, I guess those that's the major concern. And with, when people talk about kind of Syria and, and it, it, do you feel sorry, I mean, from what your experience is, is that still Russia sponsored or in terms of chemical weapons or does Syria have their own program where they're using uh, uh, these chemical weapons or, or even, is it even Russian sanctioned, I should say, uh, because I know that the Russians have put military weapons into those areas as well. What, what, what do you think about that area over there? Well, Syria had an enormous stockpile of chemical weapons, 1,300 tons. And under the threat of military force, in 2013, they agreed to give those up, and working together with Russia, China, the United Nations, and many other allies and partners, uh, we were able to remove and destroy that large stockpile. Hmm. However, it was um, a program that was developed indigenously, and uh, Syria has the expertise, and lately it appears that they have been... Uh, reconstituting elements of that chemical weapons program that had been successfully destroyed by the world community in 2014. You know, with that being the case, a lot of people are definitely concerned about the access of these kind of weapons. I know uh, whether it be Iraq or, or Syria or other areas that may have had kind of programs, uh, the access to this kind of weaponry to uh, get into the hands of possible terrorist organizations, whether it be ISIS or Al Qaeda or otherwise. Um, you know, is that still a very, very given the, the amount of tonnage that you have just mentioned um, that is out there? Um, is that still a very, very serious concern? Indeed it is. I, I think the trend is uh, the possibility for terrorists to uh, use these uh, chemical weapons, perhaps uh, obtaining them from stockpiles or even uh, developing them on their own. And then there's this new phenomenon we've seen in these two assassinations. Uh, one was successful and one, one is attempted um, of uh, covert use of chemical weapons by states by state parties, but uh, with one or two special operations individuals uh, delivering on a very targeted basis small amounts of chemical weapons. You know, the, 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 the weapon that was just used in, in, uh, in, in England um, is, is quite a concern because it seemed to not only have, um, you know, hit the people who uh, was the intended target, but now they're saying over 20-something people have had to be hospitalized uh, because of their exposure to that weapon. Uh, sir, I mean, I, and, and I don't know how much detail, but can you go into the detail about the, the, the volatile nature of some of these weapons? Oh, yes. In particular, the one that was used um, in Salisbury in the United Kingdom was what we call a fourth-generation chemical weapon, so where sarin and VX are third-generation. This is one of the most advanced chemical weapons in the world. It was developed by the Soviet Union in the 1980s. Um, not very well known, although we learned about it from defectors in the uh, early 1990s and developed uh, 
a series of countermeasures for our military against it. But it is extremely, extremely lethal. And uh, apparently it was delivered against uh, one person and uh, and his daughter. Uh, it's not clear if she was also targeted or if she was collateral damage. But um, the secondary effect um, of other people being exposed to it, uh, first responders who were on scene to treat these sick individuals, they were exposed. One of them is in the hospital. And uh, a number of innocent bystanders are at risk uh, for this really reckless deed in the United Kingdom. You know, we, when we talk about this fourth generation uh, a chemical weapon, it, it, and it, which is which is uh, quite scary to hear, <laughs> sir. When we talk about fourth generation, um, where what does that does that mean that uh, in terms of fourth generation, does that mean it can be delivered in smaller amounts and, and it's more lethal? I mean, when when we kind of expose that kind of piece, what does that exactly mean in terms of these generational weapons and even the fact that it was created so long ago? Um, also, it's just even quite scary given the nature of the of the new technology and maybe how people are even to create even more monstrous type weapons if that was created back in the 1980s. But what exactly does that mean in terms of the, the generational dynamics of these weapons? Sir? Well, this one is particularly lethal. Um, it's uh, mixed at the last moment, so it's easily transportable. The mm. two components are then combined and then it's delivered. It can uh, kill a person just by uh, touch to the skin. Um, in this case, it's not clear how uh, it was delivered. But what's also unusual about this one is it was only produced in Russia. And that's why the British government, with such high confidence, has been able to attribute this attack to Russia. You know, we need to take a quick break, sir. But when we come back, I want to continue this conversation because, you know, you're just even educating me. So I know other people are getting educated about this dynamic and the concern of it. Just even you hearing that it can, you know, it can be delivered in the way it does by touch, but then it's mixed at the last minute. And so I guess you have two different compounds that are put together into one and then a person can deliver it. Uh, That's some very, very powerful and scary stuff right there that we need to know about. You're listening to what's going on with this situation with chemical weapons. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek Dorch, and we're talking to the Honorable Andrew Weber. He was the former Assistant Secretary for Defense, Nuclear, Chemical, and Biological Defense Programs, and he's also on the board of the Arms Control Association, where he's still writing about, still dealing with, still researching, still keeping on top of what's going on with all these different issues which are currently in the media today. So we're going to come back and talk about this stuff when we come back. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m. If you're just joining us, we are talking about an important issue. We're talking about kind of chemical warfare, and we may even dive into some biological warfare today. But these are some important issues. If you've been monitoring the news, then you have seen what's going on with Russia using a nerve agent uh, in England against one of their former spies, and they're still hospitalized, but then 20-something people were hospitalized. But it's not just there. We've seen this attacks going on in North Korea 
against the use of a family member to kill him. Uh, 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 we've seen this attack going on in Syria where people have used uh, chemical agents to attack parts of uh, uh, either the population or uh, those who are fighting against the Syrian government. And we're seeing this more and more. We're worried about what is uh, the concern for the United States. What's the concern for our allies? What's the concern for the world if people start to utilize chemical weapons again at a mass scale? So we're trying to find out what's going on with that right now. We're talking to the Honorable Andrew Weber. He was a former Assistant Secretary of Defense uh, for Nuclear, Chemical, and Biological Defense Programs. And he also is on the board of the Armed Control Association. He has a well, I, I can't read his whole background because it may take up this whole show, but he's been working on this for over 30-something years, working on chemical issues, biological, nuclear issues, and everything else. Sir, when, when, when we're you know uh, looking at this right now and these generational weapons, um, with technology the way it is right now, and, and we know that you know Russia uh, produced this back in the 80s, uh, are you concerned with the new technology where now we can kind of get into the DNA of people, we can get into uh, producing even more volatile type stuff, that there's going to be a next generation of chemical uh, weapons that are being produced? Well, what I'm concerned is the increased access to these technologies. Mm. Um, as information uh, becomes very easily available to anyone in the world with Internet access, um, it, it opens up what was exclusively the domain of nation-states uh, is now something that small groups or even individuals can uh, possibly develop on, uh, on their own with uh, commercially available um, uh, chemicals and, and chemistry equipment. You know, and that and that's scary as we as we listen to this. I mean, I'm thinking about uh, you know even the the active shooter guy who they had uh, uh, who put on the Batman outfit uh, out there, I believe in Colorado. But I think when they found his house, he had a laboratory of all kind of stuff, uh, chemicals and everything else. And and so what I'm hearing is that as as this information is starting to become more readily available on the internet, maybe the dark web or other places, and now people can begin manufacturing their own kind of chemicals that it can be very very deadly. Yes, and, and that's why I, I've spent much of uh, my career working on what we call weapons of mass destruction mm -hmm. terrorism. So this is, um, you know, we, we're very concerned with rogue states and their uh, WMD programs, but the, the possibility for small terrorist groups or even large terrorist groups like ISIS to develop chemical weapons or biological weapons is increasing over time, and that is something that concerns me deeply. You know, it, when I'm thinking about this and, and I'm thinking about the exposure, do we have the capability, uh, and, 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 you know, this may be at a certain level where we say, you know, yes, no, or, or it can't be talked about, but, you know, it, are these weapons, are these are something that our hospitals and, and our medical professionals can deal with? I mean, we've even seen this with fentanyl, uh, with law enforcement, that the exposure of some, just a touch of something can send somebody to the hospital. Are our medical, um, um, you know, uh, uh, our medical apparatus in the United States and maybe around the world, are they able to deal with this if it became a scale situation? Well, um, our, our military certainly is, but uh, on the civilian side, uh, we would have to do a lot more uh, to be better prepared against these uh, rarely used uh, agents. And you mentioned fentanyl. So I, I consider fentanyl um, to be a chemical weapon. In mm. fact, people people don't remember um, in 2002, there was a, a Chechen uh, group that took hostages in a theater in Moscow. Mm -hmm. And 
Russian special forces injected um, uh, sentinels into the into the air in that theater and knocked out all of the hostage takers, but killed uh, about a hundred of the hostages themselves. So they actually used it in that case as a chemical weapon. Wow. And see, I, I, I knew they had put something into the air and, and it was like a massive death situation, uh, supposedly under a rescue scenario. But just even hearing about that just even says how powerful that is and that it's on the streets of America right now that, you know, people are utilizing that stuff. And, and so that that shows how this stuff is starting to get out and start to, you know, come into our own streets and in our own neighborhoods. You know, as we look at this sir, and, and, and kind of think about uh, uh, where things are going. Does does this equal out? And I know we always kind of talk about where does the line go for war, right? You know, in terms of now we've seen the cyber attacks by Russia. Now we're hearing from DHS and saying they're infiltrating nuclear uh, facilities and everything else. Now we hear about this dynamic that they're using chemical weapons. What can be done in terms of a, a of a nation state, you know, when when we're starting to see these just kind of acts that are just, you know, small, but very, very important acts. But they keep happening. And it seems like the line keeps on pushing further and further. What can be done on that? Well, uh, these gray areas that you mentioned are, are very concerning because they could escalate uh, into a, a full out military Conflict if there's misunderstanding on both sides, and um, so we need to be to be vigilant. Uh, we need to be firm and uh, do the best we can to deter these types of, of uh, lower grade attacks. But the potential is there for for much larger attacks, and and uh, whether it's cyber or uh, chemical weapons or biological weapons, these are capabilities that not just. Um, countries have, but are accessible to small groups and uh, terrorist groups we've seen over the years have uh, pursued some of these capabilities. Is, is there, and I know you worked in um, uh, in, in Kazakhstan and, and in Georgia, and you were part of the cooperative uh, threat reduction efforts, you know, to kind of remove these weapons in certain areas. Are, are, are there, you know, we had a one time, we had a real big concern about that loose nuke um, are there still loose chemical weapons out there in different countries or, or, or maybe unstabilized areas? Uh, and, and when they were unstabilized, uh, whether it be a Syria, Libya, parts of, a, 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 of the former Soviet Union, were there people who were able to grab certain things that we don't know about that, that is still an area of concern? Well, actually, um, let me mention some good news, because I was uh, directly involved in some of these efforts. Mm-hmm. To, uh, to destroy chemical weapons around the world. Um, Qaddafi uh, had a pretty robust chemical weapons program uh, when he was leader of Libya. And uh, in 2003, we started a process to eliminate those. And it took 10 years. I had the, uh, the privilege of visiting um, Libya in February of 2014 to oversee the destruction of the last of Libya's chemical weapons. It was uh, one of 517 artillery shells that were filled with mustard gas that could have been uh, diverted and used by a terrorist as an improvised chemical device. In Syria, one of the greatest achievements of the Obama administration, in my view, was the international effort in leading that uh, after the threat of military force to remove and destroy 1,300 
tons of chemical weapons agents from Syria. Now, of course, Syria continues to use low-grade chemical weapons against its own people, but on a much smaller scale. Uh, the big, the big one that really concerns me today in terms of state programs is North Korea. Mm-hmm. North Korea, North Korea has uh, reportedly over five thousand tons of chemical weapons. You know, when we're when we're hearing that, I want to come back. We got to take a quick break, but I want to come back to that, and I want you to kind of think about this. When we hear about, we keep on having this nuclear conversation with North North Korea, but it sounds like no one's talking about the chemical conversation. And I wonder why we're not having that conversation just as important uh, with North Korea, or even or that's not even being covered in any kind of media or anything like that to hear about that capability. Um, you know, it, it, it sounds to be a, almost kind of a nightmare scenario, especially for that region. I want to talk about that when we come back. We're uh, talking about chemical weapons and we're talking to the Honorable Andrew Weber. He is the former assistant secretary who dealt with all these things. He dealt with biological weapons. He dealt with chemical weapons. He dealt with uh, uh, the nuclear weapons. Uh, and He was working under the Obama administration to deal with this. But he's been doing this for over 30 years, working with a number of organizations, fighting the fight to really reduce and get rid of this uh, chemical and nuclear and biological threat that we have around the world, these weapons of mass destruction. We're going to keep on having this conversation when we come back. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. If you're just joining us, we have been having a scary but good conversation of talking about chemical weapons. We've been talking about what's going on with the whole dynamic in terms of what we're seeing right now, which seems to be a very, very blatant use uh, whether it be the, uh, Russia, whether it be Syria, uh, whether it be North Korea, of using chemical weapons, maybe at a small scale, but it's still concerning because we're starting to see this more and more. So this is a conversation that we have to have right now. We're talking to the Honorable Andrew Weber. He is a, a, a former a, a person in the administration who dealt with all these issues uh, for President Obama. He was the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Nuclear, Chemical, and Biological Defense Programs. He also is on the board of the Arms Control Association, but he's been working on a lot of these different things. He's worked on treaties to, to destroy a chemical weapon. He's worked on programs to get rid of chemical weapons in Libya and Kazakhstan and Georgia and all around the world in Syria and everywhere else. So he knows what he's talking about. He knows the threat. Uh, sir, when, you know, when we are thinking about this, we mentioned North Korea. Why is that not part of the conversation right now? We keep on hearing about the nuclear concern in North Korea, but we're never talking about the chemical. And, and it sounds as if they have probably one of the biggest stockpiles in the world. Uh, they do. They have the largest operational stockpile in the world, and uh, we should be talking about it. Um, in fact, I think there's an opportunity uh, now that North Korea has nuclear weapons, and we have to do everything we can to uh, negotiate an end to their nuclear weapons um, capabilities. But uh, they don't need these chemical weapons. Um, they're a threat to our troops and to the citizens of South Korea. We should... Um, work internationally on an effort to um, destroy uh, North Korea's stockpile of Mm -hmm. chemical weapons so they're never used. And that's going to be a a tough, messy, uh, technically challenging job. So one of the proposals that that I'm recommending is that we start now building a facility to safely destroy North Korea's chemical weapons stockpile, and Mm -hmm. we could do it today under a U.N. flag in uh, across the border in China. 
Right, right, right. Do, do, do you, um, as you're looking at that, and I think that's a great idea, um, are other countries, are, is China and other countries, are they on board with this uh, destruction of, of, of the chemical weapons? Um, you know, when you're having these treaties and having these discussions and you've been in those rooms, are, is, there, is most of the other countries, the major state actors, are they on the same page in terms of that this should not ever uh, be a case where we go back into a World War One situation or we go into these, what we're seeing right now, and we need to get rid of these weapons? The overwhelming majority of countries in the world absolutely are uh, united uh, against uh, these types of uh, really horrific uh, weapons. In fact, the Chemical Weapons Convention is nearly universal. There are only four countries in the world left that have not um, signed and ratified this uh, this convention. And we need to uh, work on those last four. They are uh, North Korea, of course, uh, South Sudan, uh, which is a new country. It mm-hmm. just hasn't gotten around to it. And most disturbingly, Egypt. Mm. I think it's outrageous that Egypt, which used chemical weapons in Yemen in 1967, um, is not has not signed the Chemical Weapons Convention. And Israel uh, has, has signed it, but has not yet ratified it. So I think we need to uh, work to make sure that all countries join the Chemical Weapons Convention and that we completely eliminate this class of weapons from the planet. You know, when, when we talk about these, um, these treaties, what happens, sir, when uh, a country does not adhere to it. it, it I mean, is and, 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 you know, when, 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 these, when everyone signs, uh, um, you know, these things and then they kind of either don't, you know, uh, ratify or, or they don't adhere to all the different components, like what we're seeing with Russia or something like that. Um, are there stiff penalties? Are there sanctions? What can be done through these treaties? Um, there are. There's, there are verification methods. Um, ultimately, it takes the U.N. Security Council to, um, to take very strong action against violators. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, we need to hold those nations that are using chemical weapons accountable. And I would start with uh, uh, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. He has repeatedly in flagrant violation of international norms, used chemical weapons against innocent men, women, and children in his own country. You know, when we when we think about this, and and you know, as and and, and it correct in saying it was Syria, and now maybe all the, the maybe the whole world really kind of coming in and saying, hey, listen, you can't do this. I mean, once you open it, it, it almost seems it's a domino effect. When one country begins to open the door on using these weapons, then it starts to get other nations thinking we need to, you know, maybe get our program or start to, uh, 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 you know, reinstitute a chemical program. Is is that the case, sir? I mean, that's sometimes the, the concern when you when when that slippery slope starts to open up, other people start to kind of go into that mode as well? That's right. I mean, these are crimes against humanity, and we need to call them uh, for what they are and uh, not let the norm or the taboo uh, break down and be eroded. We need to slam that door back shut. You know, when when we think about, I know you talked about kind of the, the, the dynamic of you know, what's going on with these lethal weapons and also with the uh, terrorist organizations and everything else is, 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 is do we need to get to a state? And I just kind of mentioned to you about the, the medical concerns. 
Do we need to get to a state where we are maybe educating people a little bit more about the threat of chemical um, and, and, and just maybe whether it be our schools or whether it be uh, our emergency uh, management agencies and, and our hospitals and maybe our first responders? Does that need to be a bigger conversation that we're having with law enforcement and everyone else about the threat of this kind of stuff? Derek, I, I think that's the most important thing uh, is an educated public. Um, we don't want to panic people, but um, understanding in advance um, measures that can be done to prevent and respond to these uh, horrible weapons is mm-hmm. very, very important, and, and recognition is important. So, yes, I think we need to have a public discourse um, without scaring people, but uh, in a way that allows us to increase Uh, the resilience of our society and the preparedness of our society. And it sounds like as if that, you know, given the the nature that people are able to learn something, I mean, we, you know, we've definitely been talking about terrorism, see something, say something, but it sounds as if we need to almost have an educated industry uh, who may not, who may unknowingly be selling certain things that can become a chemical weapon and, and, and maybe even kind of checking those things out and alerting certain people to be like, hey, you know, this kind of person just bought a little bit of too much of this or he's bought this, that and the other. Because I'm, I'm concerned that industry may not know uh, or completely understand what a person may be doing when they're making certain purchases. Well, that's very true. I remember the experience with uh, high explosives and fertilizers. So mm-hmm. we We've increased awareness about that. Um, so there are uh, a lot of these um, um, weapons are made with what we call dual-use technologies. So these are technologies that are available in the civilian marketplace um, for useful purposes but can also be misused. So that's another area where increased awareness among the supplier community is very, very important. Without question. We're talking to the Honorable Andrew Weber. He is uh, an expert on basically uh, what a lot of people know in the industry, the nuclear biological chemical or C. Bernie, which is chemical, biological, nuclear, uh, 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 radiological and high yield explosives. Uh, But he was a a former assistant secretary of defense uh, for nuclear, chemical and biological defense programs. He helped run these programs that 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 really are, are, are some of the most destructive programs on earth and trying to help get rid of them around the world, uh, help rid- get rid of them in, in, in areas like Syria and Kazakhstan, Georgia, Libya, and other areas that have been un- uh, really unstable countries that we need to make sure that uh, these weapons are never used, no one has access to them, terrorists don't have access to them, and everything else. We're going to keep this conversation going, but as we go into the fourth segment, we're going to talk about something important about this, the, the health uh, industry in terms of uh, Ebola, in terms of disease. There's a whole thing about disease X right now that's, that's being talked about, about something that we don't know about that can really have an impact on the health care and the national security of our country and the world. We'll be right back after this break. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch. We're having a good conversation about what is going on with chemical warfare and chemical weapons. We've been talking to the Honorable Andrew Weber. He is the former Assistant Secretary of Defense for programs that dealt with everything that was chemical, biological, nuclear, and everything else. And we've been having a good conversation about this right now. I want to swing right back into the conversation because we got a little bit of time on this. But, sir, Ebola other kind of massive diseases that have that we are concerned that will kind of take hold of our you know population. We've heard something recently about a, the disease called disease X 
something that's not out there yet, but we don't know that it's that, it, you know, we don't know what it is, but we think it may be coming. And we're trying to find out what's the concern about these epidemic type diseases that can be spread and that, we you know, uh, Zika and everything else that can be spread from population to population and have devastating effects. What is a concern? And, and is, is there something that is evolving that we need to be concerned about? Yeah, so we've been talking about chemical weapons, and now let's shift to something that's different. Um, it's uh, biological threats, uh, which include biological weapons that could be developed by terrorists, or even North Korea has a very robust uh, biological weapons program, um, and also natural disease outbreaks. In fact, they're uh, common. Uh, biological weapons are nothing more than the use of disease as a weapon. So there's a lot we can do to strengthen our public health systems, to develop new vaccines and countermeasures. But uh, these new technologies like uh, gene editing and synthetic biology open uh, new opportunities to develop uh, terrible biological weapons, but also new opportunities to improve our response system, to make better drugs quickly, to make better vaccines. So we can save lives were they to be misused. I know you helped uh, coordinate the Ebola response, sir. I mean, with your experience with that and kind of working with the State Department and really kind of dealing with the international Ebola response, uh, what did you see as as the strengths of the response and what did you see as the weaknesses that we need to uh, uh, kind of improve upon internationally in in terms of maybe a global health care system or just in terms of national security as it relates to responding? Because now people can make these biological weapons to target a military population, to target food population, I mean, to target the food uh, sources, uh, water sources, and everything else. What were the things that we learned from the Ebola situation? Well, the lesson there is that an outbreak anywhere uh, can quickly become a global uh, problem. And uh, indeed, uh, President Obama mobilized over 70 countries in the United Nations and international organizations to help deal with and isolate that threat and you know, I had the chance to visit West Africa at the height of the outbreak and the human tragedy. Over um, 11,000 people were killed, mm, but it could have been a lot worse. But right. people uh, don't remember that uh, the Soviet Union, as part of its biological weapons program, developed Ebola and Marburg uh, hemorrhagic fever virus as a weapon. Mm. And because because we knew that, the Pentagon had been working for almost two decades developing uh, vaccines, drugs, and diagnostics to help us deal with Ebola. And those were deployed as part of the response, and especially the diagnostics were very effective. You know, just mentioning that, sir, and I, I did not know that it was developed as a weapon. I mean, it, 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 are many of these chemical uh, 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 diseases, I mean, these not chemical, but are many of these biological, biological. Yeah, these biological threats, are they developed as weapons first and then they either, you know, get out into the populations or they've been used and then it's hard to kind of put the put it back in the bottle? Um, I mean, how does that happen in terms of uh, when something has been developed as a weapon system? Right. So they're just um, the people developing biological weapons, countries like the Soviet Union, they pick the most deadly of the naturally occurring bacteria and viruses uh, that, that cause disease and then come up with ways to, um, 
to disseminate them as 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 weapons. Uh, in some cases, they spread themselves. Uh, for example, smallpox was developed by the Soviet Union for use as a biological weapon. So that there is a silver lining in this, and that is so much of what we can do, the investments we need to make to deal with naturally occurring epidemics, um, can also improve our protection against uh, deliberate biological attacks. When, when, do do we not know when this is, I mean, is, is there, I know we've got the uh, kind of epidemic intelligence uh, uh, that's come out of CDC. Um, are there enough monitoring to kind of see certain things happen quickly enough? Uh, you know, Ebola, like you said, killed uh, 11,000 people. Are we behind the times in terms of kind of, you know, finding out when this, the outbreak is happening quicker or, or have we gotten better with that? Well, that was one of the causes of the outbreak in West Africa, was that those countries did not have effective public health systems to monitor um, disease outbreaks. And as a result, um, we uh, created something called the Global Health Security Agenda Hmm. in recognition that we're only as safe and healthy as the weakest link around the world. um, So we... uh, have a deliberate effort. Unfortunately, it's been cut in the recent budget significantly, but this deliberate effort to work around the world um, through CDC and other like organizations to improve our detection and our surveillance of infectious disease outbreaks so we can isolate them at the source before they become global epidemics and pandemics. It is you know just how we talked about um, um, the, the the chemical dynamic being something of, of that's now that almost can get into the hand of the individual. Is that the same thing that's going on with this biological threat? Is is with technology and uh, the power of computers and maybe somebody building their own little laboratory? Can that also get into the hand of an individual where they can create uh, a super virus or a super disease that um, that they can spread amongst their population very, very quickly? Is that a concern of that lone wolf who can do that? It is. In fact, we had our own lone wolf uh, launch an anthrax attack in the United States in 2001, if you right. remember. Right, right. So, so the, the possibility for that uh, radicalized microbiologist around the world uh, developing biological weapons is uh, of grave concern, and it's something that I've spent a lot of my career uh, improving our, our protection against. It, it sounds as if, sir, and, and then we're out of time. I, got, I have to have you back because it's such an important issue. But it sounds as if, uh, you know, we we're just not uh, taking this as serious as it should be. It, it, in, in my opinion, sir, and 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 I don't know if you if you feel the same way, but it sounds as if we've got to have a an education program that begins to educate all of our people about these threats, so that we can de- deter them before they before somebody does something. Maybe somebody sees something doing something. Maybe you see a family member who's you know doing something kind of that. A little bit suspicious that shouldn't be taking place, and somebody can warn somebody. But it seems as if we we just don't have enough education out there about these. Well, Derek, I, I want to thank you for the public service that you're providing by uh, hosting this discussion about some of these uh, difficult issues. And indeed, there is so much we can do to have a better prepared and resilient uh, society to reduce these threats. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm going to have to have you back on the show, if you don't mind, at some other point so we can continue this conversation about, you know, nuclear, biological and chemical and just how we can maybe work toward work as a world to get rid of this stuff. I mean, it's such a scary time. But I do have some hope, especially for people out there like you. I appreciate your service, sir. Well, thank you, Derek. 
You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch, only on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.